Welcome back to season three of my podcast. I am Amanda Blackwood, the survivor. As many of you know, I wrote my autobiography as a survivor of human trafficking called Custom Justice. For those of you who didn't know, now you do. Keeping in line with that, this entire season is going to be focused on interviewing other trauma survivors who did or plan to write about their own experiences as trauma survivors and how they overcame their past. Get ready to hear from some truly incredible people. Please hang on for a moment through this brief advertisement. This is what currently pays for the show. Of course, I will also take donations through PayPal to keep the show running, or you can show support by a simple book purchase. I have quite a few out there. Just look for books by Amanda Blackwood on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Your purchase does go to helping to support local organizations that help fight human trafficking also. Good afternoon, and thank you for calling. Is this Miss Layla Reed? This is. Hi, how are you doing? Good, how are you? (laughs) Not bad at all. Um, I'm going to introduce you real quick, folks. This is Layla. All of her books are fiction, but she's written about things that have affected her greatly, like foster care, adoption, infertility, a lot of the difficult subjects that so many women face worldwide. She's come a long way down the road of recovery, and I'm super proud to have her on the show today. Uh, Layla, welcome. I'm so happy to meet you. Thank you. Happy to be here. <laughs> so uh, before we start getting into your own background and your, your traumatic story, let's talk a little bit about who you were before all that. So where did you grow up? What was your family life like? I grew up in Minnesota, central Minnesota. We kind of moved around a lot. Um, and we've I've been in central Minnesota now for... Well, at the same spot, I should say, for probably 17 or 18 years that we haven't moved. So uh, longest I've ever been here. Yeah. <laughs> I know what that's like. I've, I've moved 43 times in my life, I think, last year. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Too many. Too many. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about the forms of trauma that you've had to overcome. You've been through a lot with what all that you've had to deal with. Can you give us a... a, a bit of a background as to what happened and then how you uh, found yourself in that situation. Yep. So when my husband and I got married and we started trying to have a family, I learned that I have um, PCOS, which makes it really hard to have a baby. So we did um, several years of uh, fertility treatments. Um, We did IUI, um, everything we could think of that we could do, but we couldn't afford to do the IVF. So then we started um, our foster care journey, and uh, to date we had we've had eleven foster care kids in our home, and we were able to adopt two of them, who are now eleven and seven. Oh my goodness, that's awesome! And I love that you were able to do that. I was in a foster care home for a little while, very briefly, uh, when I was seventeen, and that was not easy for that family. Yeah, Yeah, there's a lot of adjustments (laughs) for everybody involved. (laughs) Absolutely. So what all, um, what is uh, PCOS? A lot of people don't know. Yep, polycystic ovarian syndrome where there's like, um, it it makes it hard to ovulate uh, consistently. So then I, you know, had trouble menstruating and things like that. So I never really ovulated. Um, and you know, we did injections and hormone shots and pills and, um, I was getting ultrasounds every few days and, 
uh, everything we could think of to do, and it just failed time and time and time again. So every month we would go through the process of grieving all over again, just to try to have, you know, the energy and strength to start the next cycle and hope that it would work that time. Um, and I think after, you know, I think it was four years and I just gave up and said, I can't do this anymore. This is too hard. Wow. Oh my gosh. What a heartbreak. But what an incredible person you are to then open up your home to these kids. Uh, can you tell us some of the, the uh, good and bad, maybe adventure stories of what it's like being a foster parent and going through the, the adoption process? Yeah, so it's, um, you know, it's exciting when you get a placement and, you know, it's so exciting to like invite someone into your home, um, but it's heartbreaking to know because of the reasons why they're in your home. Um, and that, you know, the kids we had all came for all different reasons, uh, some domestic violence, some alcohol and drug abuse, some was just, you know, abuse and neglect. And uh, they, they all had different backgrounds, different reasons why they were there. Um, and it, you know, the struggles were trying to meet their needs and figure out what, what they were when they didn't know what they were. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of the struggle with the kids that we did have that came in. Some came for a short time, some came for a longer time. And then when our kids came, um, both of our kids, the two that we adopted came from the hospital. Uh, and that journey until their adoption was really tough. You didn't know um, if they were going to stay with you. You didn't know if, you know, a long lost relative would come out of the woodwork and, you know, show up suddenly and want to uh, be involved. And, and so the process, it was daunting. There were times we didn't know if they were going to stay. Um, and so when we finally got there, when we finally got to that point, it was just such a a miracle and excitement and and we celebrated it as best we could and um after our son came we did stop doing foster care just because our lives have been so busy and trying to meet everybody's needs in our household that we haven't been able to continue doing it but maybe in the future right wow how old are your kids now they are now 11 and 7 wow those are some pretty fun ages. Do they get along okay? <laughs> <laughs> For the most part, they they love like siblings and they fight like siblings. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, oh my gosh, foster care for nine years. Oh, my gosh. Do you know how many kids have come through your home? Yep, we've had 11 and they ranged from two days and our oldest was 16. Oh my gosh. Unbelievable. Yes. So, and I understand that a lot of times when kids go into foster care, um, the state and the county, they don't always tell you everything that you should probably know. Did you guys have that happen to you? Absolutely. Yep. They were some things that they didn't know or that, you know, we informed them of, you know, that the, these issues were happening or these things were said. And then there were things that they did know that they failed to tell us. Um, and that was, it was, it's really hard to build trust and maintain trust when you know that they're not disclosing everything that they should be. Um, that has probably been the hardest part in working with, because when you get more placements, you need to know what the safety level 
for the kids that are already in your home. And, and if they're not going to tell you or you feel like you're being misled, it's really hard to have that trust to keep continuing to do placements. Right. Wow. Um, and a lot of times, uh, a lot of special needs kiddos end up in foster care too. I've heard of that happening a lot. Did you come across some special needs kids that you were not prepared to be able to help? Yes. So I would say um, almost all of the kids that have come into our home were really had special needs of some kind. There was maybe one or two that didn't or that we didn't know of any amount of time that they were with us. Uh, some of it we were aware of. Sometimes they would tell us we, you know, we do know about this or that, but um, it really was figuring it out on our own. Uh, we had a child that wasn't able to communicate with us. You know, she wasn't able to talk. And so it was, uh, we didn't know if it was a language barrier. We weren't sure uh, exactly what it was that, why she wasn't able to speak at all. And so we had to learn to work around each other and we had to learn, uh, she had to learn how to show us what she needed and we had to learn how to help her. Um, and so after spending a few days with her, when she would go up and slap the stove, we would realize, oh, she's hungry. Oh. Or when she would, um, yeah, when she would go and, you know, hit the fridge, we realized, oh, she was thirsty. And then she would clap when we would come over. <laughs> <laughs> so, and that, and, and she was, she was really a fun one too, because she, we didn't realize, but she wouldn't um, sleep on her own and she would be up all night. And, and I just couldn't figure out how we were going to get her to sleep because I was tired and she was tired and no matter what we did, she wouldn't fall asleep. And so I finally had grabbed a mattress, set it on the floor and I, and I laid with her on the mattress and we fell, she fell right to sleep and she slept as long as she could touch me. She slept so good. And when I had talked to the social worker after that, they said, well, they had went into that home. That's all they had in their home was a mattress. And the caregiver and all the children slept on the mattress on the floor. Wow. Yeah. So we did that for the duration of her stay. I, you know, I just camped out with her on the floor. And as long as she could reach out and like hold my hand, then she would sleep every night. She'd fall asleep right away. Oh. Yes. <laughs> she was a sweetie. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Those kids, they, they do so much to teach us. <laughs> they do. They do. And, and it's hard to, we never know with most of our kids, we never ever heard what happened to them. Oh, that's gotta be heartbreaking. Oh my gosh. Yes. Our 16 year old, I run into her once in a while and, you know, I'm friends with her, you know, on social media, but that is it. I have not heard how any of our children have done since they left our home. Wow. I know that uh, when you originally sent me the, the answers to the little questionnaire thingy that I send out, you said at one point you were at risk of losing one of your kids. What happened? Yes. So um, when our, for my daughter, uh, her rights were terminated, uh, her, parent, her parental rights, the parent, both parents' rights were terminated right away. Um, and she had a biological sister that was also in placement and her needs were way more extensive and, and, um, she was in a pre-adoptive home. So at that point, the state of Minnesota does not consider them legal siblings. Well, that pre-adoptive placement fell through because of, they weren't able to meet her needs. So then she got put back in foster care, which made them both you know, become now legal siblings and they tried, the state of Minnesota always tries to place children together, um, siblings together. They make 
whatever that they can to do that. Uh, so at that point, it became they were going to be looking for a therapeutic home. And if the children had to stay together, we were going to be at risk of losing our daughter because we had just started our foster care. I was 26 years old. We had just started foster care. We didn't have any training. We didn't have any idea how to manage those kinds of needs that her sister had. And so they had to do um, a separation study and send it down to DHS. And it took them months to review it uh, and for them to decide that it would be in both of the children's best interest to be separated at the time. So then we were able to move forward with adopting our daughter and they were able to find a therapeutic home for, for her sister who is doing well. She's doing great. And we have a relationship with her and we get to see her several times a year. Um, and she's doing, she's doing well. Wow. That is really cool. I I love that they're still able to be sisters, even if they're not together. Absolutely. Yes. We make every effort we can and, you know, you just, she's in a great family. She's with great people. And, and you hope that that was the way it was supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. They're very lucky to know each other. That's very neat. So when you were dealing with all of your trauma and everything, what helped you to heal from all of that? What are like the top things that you've done to help yourself move through it? You know, going through it, like when we were going through the fertility part, it was so hard to see all of our friends and family start having families of their own and, and to feel like that might not ever happen for us. And so, you know, as excited as I tried to be for everybody and was, I, you know, I really was, it was also this reminder of what won't be family. And so, you know, once we started doing foster care and once we, um, once our daughter was placed with us and we knew it was, you know, hoping to lead towards adoption. I think, you know, I think that that started the healing process for us. And then when, once we were in that adoption field, I feel like all of that other trauma from the infertility stuff got pushed aside because now we're focusing on learning about our children's trauma. Cause you know, even if they come from the womb, they, there is trauma. Adoption is trauma. And so, you know, we put such a shift and focus on that. And when I did have a few close friends going through fertility issues and and talking about them, it brought up a lot of feelings that I thought I had long ago let go. And I realized I hadn't. And I realized, like, listening to them, it did bring back a lot of feelings that I had um, that I, you know, I just something you don't think about every day. And then you realize someone else is going through it and you just know how painful that is. And so now I, you know, I I do feel like now I've moved on from that part of my life because we do have our family and we, you know, we were so blessed to have our family. And now I feel like we really work with the trauma that our kids have and focus so much on that. Wow. You're amazing. I hope you know that. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. It is hard. It is very hard. It's not easy. It is not easy to go through it. It is not easy to know that there's nothing you can do to help your children through their trauma and to know that it is not their fault, you know, and, and to explain to them that yes, life is hard. Like these are hard things that we have to go through. Yeah. Yeah. It's not easy. Were you able to find uh, resources and services that were able to help you guys to get through a lot of that stuff? Uh, For our kids, we did. Um, For our kids, I, you know, I did all of that back 
myself, you know, reaching out and um, found adoption and trauma focused therapists. Um, and, you know, I got both of my kids into the, into the right therapies that they needed. And then they've also been a great resourcing. Okay. I think we need to look this way or that way. And so um, we have some amazing therapists in our area. I'm so lucky to have them that they have gotten me through our toughest days and helped us get to the right people to get the right answers, to figure out what is going on. Um, like with our children, with their brains, how their brains work, how we're supposed to help navigate through that, how we should be handling that. And so um, that's been a journey too. And it's been, it, feel, it feels helpless at times, but I feel like we are on the right track. And I feel like things have only continued to get better. And medication helps. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, medication definitely helps, but. Yeah. Especially for someone who genuinely has that need. Yes. Yes. So how do you celebrate your little wins in life? I mean, you've been through so much. You got to have a little way to celebrate. <laughs> yes. You know, I, we do, we try to find ways to celebrate. Um, you know, sometimes it's just celebrating with family and spending time together and, you know, letting our kids pick out something they can do. We celebrate adoption days more than we celebrate birthdays. Um, and so we try to make sure that, you know, our kids always know how much we love them and appreciate them. And it's, you know, we also celebrate every time I finish writing a book, every time a book is published, uh, we will either like go out for ice cream or get some cake or go out for dinner. Um, try to make sure self-care that we have time for my husband and I to get away too. And um, yeah, just really about spending time together, creating new memories and doing new things. I love that you still want to spend that time with your husband, just the two of you too, because so many people think that once you have kids, that's not even possible. And that can't be farther from the truth, of course. You can, exactly. It can be a challenge, but you can make time. Yes, yes. So, yes. <laughs> this tomorrow is our 16-year anniversary. <gasps> oh, and congratulations. So, thank you. So we are going to take the weekend. We're going to um, go camping. It's our annual adults camping weekend. And then we are heading to Montana for the week because I have a book signing in Billings next weekend. Oh, nice. so it's just, yeah, just him and I going, cause we never did, we never got away for our fifth or 10th or 15th anniversary. So I said, this year we're doing it. We're going to go on a trip <laughs> together. Good for you. Put your foot yes. down. <laughs> so who inspires you the most in this journey and why? Uh, my kids have definitely inspired me the most. They have taught me the most. They have taught me the most about patience. Um, they have taught me the most about forgiving. Um, they have taught me the most about um, just seeing seeing life through their eyes. That's awesome. They sound like really awesome kids. They are. They're <laughs> amazing. They drive me crazy every day, but they're absolutely amazing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, would you be all right with sharing their names? Yes. Their my yeah, my daughter's name is Lainey and my son's name is Wesley. No. Good names, especially Wesley. I mean, I'm a huge Princess Bride fan, so that's, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so what's one thing that you wish you could tell somebody else who's going through what you and your family went through? You know, I wish I could tell people, if you want a family, you can have a family. There are so many ways to have a family. And don't let one thing define who you are. Um don't let that stop you from your dreams. If you want a family, you can find a way. 
And it might not be what you imagined and it might not be how you hoped it would be, but there's, you know, you can make your dreams come true. Find a way. Yeah. Don't give I love up. that. I love that. Cause I know some people out here that have been uh, worried and complaining and uh, truly concerned that they're not going to have a family of their own. I keep, I keep trying to reassure them that there's other opportunities. There's other ways. There's absolutely other ways. And there are so many kids who need a home and are deserving of a home and they deserve it too. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Um, so I know you uh, do a lot of writing. How many books do you have right now? Um, I have seven published and I have one that I just finished that will be going to my editor in a few weeks. Oh, Awesome. Uh, what are the names of some of your books that I know that some of them relate to your experiences and how do they relate? So, yes, my first book, Terry Drive, I wrote that book um, from more of like a birth mom's perspective. Uh, if there was one thing I've learned through our journey in foster care is that every parent has loved their kids so much and it's not about abandonment or not wanting what's best for them. I, I haven't come across a mom in our foster care journey who hasn't absolutely loved their kids. Uh, and so for me, writing Choke Cherry Drive was more in a, on a different perspective of, um, of a birth mom, her journey, her story, and how that might have went. And then um, my second book, The Picture, is a journey of a woman who grows up in foster care. And years later, she finds her brother because her and her brother were separated. And so the picture is about that journey, how she finds her brother after being apart for so many years. And that one, she went through several foster homes. And, you know, I did put some of the typical behaviors um, that you can see as foster parents in there as well. Um, and how she managed to jump through those hurdles and become who she was as an adult. Wow. Yes. And then my third book, Grady's Gift, was about infertility and uh, the struggles that a couple went through as they tried to um, have a baby of their own and all of the the highs and lows of that. And where can people can uh, where can people find your books? So my books are on Amazon. I am in Kindle Unlimited um, and I do have both paperback and ebook on Amazon. Very nice. That's, I think that's where everybody goes these days for their books. <laughs> it's very easy and convenient. It's so convenient. That's where I go for all my books. <laughs> um, and I see you are on Twitter. You're on Facebook. You're on BookBub, Instagram, TikTok, Goodreads. You are all over the place. So basically anybody who wants to interact with you, uh, what would be your top platform that you are most frequently active on? I'm most active on Facebook. The other ones I am trying to get into more, but I'm trying to learn how each one of those work. But I do have accounts in all those places, but I am active on Facebook the most. Very cool. Me too. Exactly the same. I've got them all, but um, if you really want to catch me, catch me on Facebook. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> the easiest way for me. <laughs> Is there anything that you would wish that you could offer other survivors of similar experience? You know, I just know what you need and listen to your intuition. And if, if you need help, find it. You know, find your tribe, find the people who are going through the same thing as you. And it feels so isolating and it feels so 
I feel like people don't understand when everybody around you is having babies and, and you're not. And it just, it's the most isolating feeling in the world. And when I went through it, I didn't know of anybody else who was going through that. And now I do because so many people are like, oh my gosh, you should talk to my sister because this happened or talk to my friend because this happened. And, and, and now I have more people reaching out to me than ever before who are trying to have families now. And, and I didn't have that when I was going through that. And I didn't have someone to talk to. I never considered like going to therapy or, and, and now I'd be the first person, like, that's what I need, you know? And so I feel like my journey was different then, you know, 15 years ago than, than it would be now if I was starting over and doing that now. Yeah. Yeah. I hear that. So there's always one question that I ask people before we are done with the evening. Um, and this one is a fun one. It has nothing to do with trauma. So you're done talking about that stuff. Okay. Um, <laughs> but it's more about how you see yourself. So what is one thing that you love about yourself that is not based on physical appearance? One thing I love about myself. Hmm. I love how I love my family and I love my relationships that I have with my family. And I love how everybody knows that they can talk to me and not feel judged in any way. That is fantastic. What a great mom you are. These kids are so lucky to have you. All 11 of them. <laughs> Thank <laughs> especially you. Especially yours that get to call you mom forever. <laughs> Thank you. You are just such a remarkable person. Um, Layla, I'm going to extend the invitation that anytime you have another book coming out, reach out to me and let me know. I can always put you back on the show again. You can talk about the show or you can talk about, the, not the show, the book. <laughs> and I know you've got one going to your editor now, but let me know when that one's ready. Cause I'd love to have you back on, even if it's just for a short little five minute blurb where you can just talk about the book and let us know, even if it's not even related to any of this stuff. Just Sounds great. Thank you. Of course. Of course. You know, being an author myself, I know what it's like to, uh, kind of exposure and not always having those outlets. So I want to support you in whatever way I can. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Of course. Thank you, Miss Layla Reed. Have a wonderful afternoon and evening and uh, we'll keep in touch. All right. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. Yep. Bye. Bye. Layla Reed was kind enough to include an excerpt from The Secrets of Adley Creek, one of her books. I'm going to be reading that now for her. Prologue, 1996. They think that I can't hear or understand them, but I can. The county workers and nurses talk in circles around me, or they use code words like I'm some kind of a child. But I am no child. My body may be old, but I'm of sound mind and have impeccable hearing. Unfortunately, I can no longer take care of myself or live alone. This I know. On a good day, I've accepted that. But good days are rare, and today is not one of those days. I'm ninety-one years old. Three years ago, I fell in the bathroom and was found two days later. Ever since then, nurses have been coming to my house to help me do all the things that I can't. Meals get delivered, and a cleaning lady comes once a week. She does my laundry, vacuums, and mops. She keeps her headphones over her ears and doesn't even acknowledge me. But that's not what this is about. 
This is about what's going to happen to my place once I'm gone. I have no children of my own, and even though I've willed my farm to my nieces and nephews, I'm a realist and I know that they'll likely sell it. That's their right. The barn has sat empty for years and its roof is caved in. The corn crib is broken slats and the chicken coop's door is broken. My garden is now weeds and all my bushes are overgrown. Over the years, the house has had some small updates, indoor plumbing, electricity, and a telephone. This house is well over 100 years old, and it will likely be bulldozed down the second someone signs on the dotted line. The thought of this pains me all the way to my soul. I don't think anyone would believe me if I told them what I had to do to fight for this land that is deteriorating so rapidly. When I sit on my front porch and watch the sunset, I don't see my place as others see it. I envision it as it was 68 years ago. Things were different in the 1920s than they are today. In order to survive, you had to do things you wouldn't normally do. I was no exception, and I can assure you that none of us were the same after all we'd been through. I don't know how to let this place go willingly. Fighting for my land is all I've ever known. It's all I've ever done. My days left on earth are numbered. I can feel it in my bones. The time is coming. I have lived more years than I've got left, and I'm tired, too tired to fight for the inevitable. As always, I feel myself being drawn to the creek that runs along the edge of my property. That's my go-to place. Whenever I'm there, I close my eyes and it all comes rushing back. Every single wonderful and painful memory that I've come to cherish. I grab my walker, and as an afterthought, I go back for a blanket. Before I'm forced out of here, I need to visit the creek one last time. If you've enjoyed tonight's episode, make sure that you head on over and check out the episode description. You will find links on how you can both support this podcast and how you can actually follow this author on social media, check out their website, find their books, find their blogs, whatever it is that they provide me with is what I provide in the episode description. So check it out. Go support our people.